Welcome to another episode of Inside the Oval presented by Dignity Health. This week, I'm joined by 49ers Director of Prep and Fan Engagement, Jared Muela. Jared, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. First things first, what are your responsibilities as a director of prep and fan engagement? So for prep, we're really kind of broken up into two two departments, right? So one, the, the prep proper side is going to be everything we do sub-professional level football, right? So anytime we collaborate with high schools, youth football teams, schools, uh, after-school programs, nonprofits, that, that really lives kind of in the prep uh, side of the business. So for us, it's it's focusing on character development, health and fitness, coaches' education, and football safety. That's going to be a bulk of what we see on that side. The other piece of prep is our 49ers Prep Flag Football League. So that's a free um, community partner collaboration flag football league where we uh, supply really everything an organization needs to put on uh, a flag football uh, league for their constituents. So we partner with Boys and Girls Clubs, Police Activities Leagues, uh, parks and rec departments, things of that nature, uh, to put on this, uh, you know, league that gives people an opportunity to play an organized sport without having the cost be a barrier to participation. So that's kind of the prep side for us. And then fan engagement is focused around really being a conduit to our fan base, which is super exciting, right? So if you're not if you're not in the stadium on game day or doing other things directly, kind of interfacing with the team. We have a host of clubs and access points for our fans to come and be a part of the 49ers experience. So whether that be invasions where we go to away games and host kind of meetups for fan clubs uh, in away cities, uh, we have a kids club, we have a crib club, we have women of the Niners, which is uh, our female fans uh, specific club. We have 49ers pride, which is our LGBTQ plus uh, and allies club, which we started two years ago. Um, so really all of those different places for people to meet up with like-minded individuals, celebrate their fandom and each other, and then, you know, kind of rally around the 49ers. I mean, you guys are a touch point for thousands of people in person each year, hundreds of thousands. How, how big is your department? Like how many people does it take to make sure that you guys can put on experiences for fans in engagement or prep that go on smoothly? Yeah, so we're we're relatively lean, which makes it great because we have kind of complete control over our, our space. So we have two uh, gentlemen, Tucker Baxa and Ryan Dillard, working in the prep side, which I mentioned. And then Zam Edamati works in 49ers flag football. And then Nick Clark is our uh, fan engagement manager. So we have four full-time staff working in those three spaces. Uh, but to your point, reaching out and, and putting on experiences and, and interacting with hundreds of thousands of fans uh, every year. So it's a, it's a season team. We've been, this group's been intact for at least four years. I think Nizam was our most recent uh, addition, but Tucker and um, Nick have been with the team upwards of seven to 10 years. So it's a group that works really well together. We're able to do it with four because, you know, we all kind of know how to, how to help each other, right. How to rally um, and where to, you know, kind of step in when people need a little bit more assistance, but it's a great group. You guys have all been there for a while, and you have your tenure with the 49ers. How do you like go about finding someone you want to add to your group? What do you look for in interviews? What are kind of your red flags? How do you do that? That's a great question. I think, let me start with the red flags, right? So for me, it's, it's always, 
because we're so unique, right? We're not necessarily a department you're going to find in every organization. So it's really hard to find somebody with direct like work experience. Um, so we have to be a little bit more creative. But one of the things we encounter a lot, which is kind of a red flag for me, is when somebody comes in, as especially as an intern, um, and says they just want to get their foot in the door, right? Which is an absolutely like realistic goal. The problem is we have such a competitive hiring process that there are uh, 50% of the candidates are going to be solely focused on this space or the type of work we do. So if somebody's just looking for an opportunity to get in the building and then go off to PR or something else, um, it makes it harder for us to want to invest in that person and put the time in that it really does to, to bring people uh, up to speed and into the fold. So that's one of the things we look for in our team. Hmm, really outside of Nizam, who we hired on a couple of years ago, everybody was an intern at one point. So they they came in through that same type of process. So that's, I think, why I look at it so closely. And our team does when we hire is we've seen what it takes to be successful and kind of consistent um, there. And it's people who really care about the work uh, that we're doing. So that's definitely a big kind of red flag for me. But what we look for is people who are passionate um, and focus, right? We're, we're still very much, especially on the prep side and the fan engagement side, to be honest, we're focused on the experience, right? There's an emotional connection and a tie that we have to facilitate. So if we're doing that as a mechanism of just pulling levers and, and the job function, and it's not really genuine, um, the work doesn't mean as much. So this group is really, really invested into, you know, uh, making sure that experience is something that all our fans enjoy and all the participants in prep um, they care about the work. We feel like we're making a difference. Um, and people who who get their emotional tanks filled off that type of work um, is definitely the number one characteristic that we look for. When you went to school, what did you want to do? What did you think your career path was going to be? You got a degree in physical education. Did you want to be a teacher, a coach? Yeah. The, the what did I want to be when I grow up question. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Still looking for that answer. Uh, <laughs> more trying to not grow up than anything else. But no, I I was on a path towards being a physical education instructor and a high school football coach. So I had coached 10 years really after I stopped playing. I immediately got into coaching. Um, loved it. Loved the game. Loved the impact. Loved the uh, ability to you know work on a team and be a part of a staff. Was going you know that direction and, and the degree in kinesiology was going to take me hopefully to be a physical education instructor and continue coaching. Um, and then, you know, kind of had this opportunity presented to me and took a pivot. One thing I'm curious about because like you played football and then you coached, I mean, the big one right now that I can think of is like D'Amico. What are the differences between playing and coaching? The, the biggest thing for me is having to stay calm on the sideline, right? Like being emotionally kind of level is the hardest part because when you're a player, you're like in the moment and, you know, excited and all those things. And as a coach, you kind of, you got to stay steady. Um, so that's something I think I struggled with throughout. Uh, definitely it was a focal point, but then being able to really communicate your experiences to somebody with not that level of knowledge. So for me, I finished playing college football and then immediately went to coaching freshman football. And the biggest want to is like impart all this football you have right and have experienced to this 14 year old person who's never put a helmet on which just doesn't doesn't mesh right we have to spend time on fundamentals and and not that the pros or the high levelers don't don't spend time on fundamentals 
but understanding that you have to like take a pause and a beat and like check for understanding a lot more frequently um, than I think we anticipated when I first uh, started coaching. So that that's that's been a challenge. But once you can kind of get over that, it's great because then you can start building and you know kind of where your baseline is uh, to keep it moving. But that's definitely the biggest the biggest difference and the biggest challenge coming from playing to coaching. Trent Williams was the recipient of the NFL's Way to Play Award, which is a $2,500 grant through USA Football that's awarded to local youth or high school football program of the player's choice. And he was awarded it because of having like exceptional technique in week three. How often do you see after someone goes through that like freshman program where they're drilled on technique, technique, technique? that can people continue to use proper technique and continue to improve their technique as they go on in their career? I think one of the biggest like eye-openers I had when I came to the team was watching elite world-class athletes go through some of the same drills that the freshman football team does. Because to be quite honest, the technique never goes away, right? And it's always something that has to be practiced and, and you know, repped over and over and over again. Um, so you're never really quite there. I think some of our guys would tell you, right? Like the, the little things are what makes a difference. Now, size is bigger. Speed is different. Strength is obviously different. And there's nuances, right? But you can never move past the fundamentals. And that's one of the biggest things I try to tell, like the kids I coached or the young coaches is like, don't feel like you got to get in a hurry to get so far beyond, you know, your footwork on a reach block. Just you got to drill that, right? Especially at the younger levels, but you never have to go away from it. But the technique and the fundamentals, it definitely gets, like I said, a little bit more nuanced as you kind of progress in your career, but it never goes away. So you're playing football, you go to college, you start coaching. What was your path then to the 49ers? So my path was, this is, and this frustrates some people who like have an eye towards sports, right? I, <laughs> I was going to be a high school football coach, right? And I quite frankly didn't know this department role kind of piece of the organization existed. I, through another coach of mine, I got an opportunity to come out and coach a 49ers um, youth football camp at 4949 um, back in 2007. So really it was a three-day, you know, kind of hourly. They hired 10 high school football coaches to come out and put on this camp for 50 to 150 kids. And that was really kind of my start to it. I was like, wait a minute, we're all here doing this, but this guy's like, he's doing this all the time. Like, what is that? I want to know what that is. And that was really how I got my introduction to this, this space. Right. And I think the 49ers and the, the ownership and the executive leadership really deserve. And I try to say this at every turn because they were so far ahead of the curve when it came to the youth and high school football space, we were probably one of maybe three clubs that has a had a designated person in that role now every club has a youth football ours is called prep and is more can be more robust or you know can fit somewhere in the middle but every club has somebody who occupies that space so it really wasn't an opportunity for me to learn about it anywhere else but once i got in that was that was kind of it i coached as in um that kind of part-time three-day coach for two years 2007 2008 and came back in 2009, there was a vacancy. So the gentleman who brought me in had transitioned um, and they opened up the hiring process. So one of the things for me was I'd had two years of experience running what was basically their primary camp, which was the three-day summer camp. 
and interviewed kind of during that same window. So I was, I was on the property running the coaches, kind of filling a gap for the organization while his name is Ryan. Well, Ryan moved over to scouting and uh, went through the process like everybody else. It was the most intense hiring process I'd ever seen. It was almost six months long. Wow. Uh, and there was over 500 applicants and we had a written, we had a quiz, we had three panel interviews, one virtual interview and a phone call. And then we did it like, we did a uh, practical exam at the end where the three finalists went out to um, the elementary school to run a clinic. So we're, we're like staring at each other, you know, the three final applicants running this camp for uh, an audience like judging us. It was super intense and it was great. I wouldn't have traded it for anything, right? It makes me feel very, very proud of, of where I ended up, but yeah, it was a lot. How much of that hiring process have you taken with you in yours? Do you do a practical exam still? You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't. And I, I don't because, uh, God, that was brutal. That was so tough. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't wish that on anybody. Uh, but a lot of the other pieces I do leading up to, and I think our, our kind of hiring process is still really stringent. Um, we still get so many applicants, um, which is great. So it takes a lot, uh, a lot of time. And I love to put a lot of eyes on it. Like I love the panel interviews. I love questions coming from directions that I'm not thinking of. I think because the team, our department is, is relatively small with four, right? Five full-time employees, including myself. Um, we have to interface with a lot of other departments to get things done. So it's important to get their kind of feedback and perspective on the folks we're bringing in because they're going to be working shoulder to shoulder with them like we will day to day. So uh, that piece I definitely keep around. Um, yeah, I can't say that we'll go back to the, the practical uh, camp setting, but maybe, who knows? Now, you, now that it's fresh in my mind again, I might want to bring that back. That was pretty fun. <laughs> Speaking of, I guess, the hiring process and getting into sports, there are, and as you said, so many people apply for jobs, especially in your department. For someone who wants your job, wants to get into prep or wants to eventually someday be this director of prep and fan engagement, what would you, what would your advice to them be? My advice would be don't get discouraged, right? Like my path was different and I've worked with a lot of people who have an eye towards my job or a job inside our department. Um, and it never comes fast enough, right? It just never happens as quickly as everybody wants. And I think part of it is because there's only 32 teams. If you're looking to work in professional football, there's 32 teams, right? Within that, there's maybe two to three jobs that even exist within each team. And those don't come up very often, right? So I think as you start, one of the biggest things I see people get discouraged by is when they have to take an internship, which to us is an incredible opportunity, right? Like, again, our whole department was interns primarily. This is how we got into the organization. Um, they take an internship and then are discouraged when they don't immediately either have a full-time job at another organization or internally. And that's just not really the cadence right now, right? It's um, ambitious and impatience, I think, is a, is, a, is a good quality when deployed appropriately. But I, I hate to see people get discouraged because they've been offered a second internship at an NFL organization. To me, that's like staggering, right? Another yeah. NFL club wants you to come in and work for them, and you're disappointed. So that's that's the super hard part. Like you have to put it in context. Everybody, talk about the network, right? Everybody knows everybody. 
So if you're going off to another club, who knows, right? That could be your key to an opening, you know, three states over for another club. Um, just to keep keep on it, right? Just stay optimistic. And if you really want it, it takes time, right? And enjoy the path. Don't, don't always look at the destination. Enjoy the path. I mean, at the end of the day, right? We're walking into NFL buildings. We're going to games on Sunday. We're on the sidelines. We're working in the community. All these things are great. Don't be discouraged because you don't have the title attached to you that you think you deserve at that point. And it takes a lot of time. This is my 13th season, right? Like I didn't walk in as a director. I walked in as a youth football slash community relations coordinator. Um, so it just takes time. From your time as a coordinator and then 13 years on, how have you seen prep grow in that time? So, I mean, it's kind of night and day. We So when I came in, we were in community relations. There were three full-time employees. Oh, it was also the foundation. So our director was the director of community relations and the 49ers Foundation. We had one community relations manager and then a youth football slash community relations coordinator. And then we had interns in and out. So I think that just in and of itself, when you scale that out to today, um, you know, our foundation has eight people on staff, right? Our community relations department has four to five people. Our youth football department is now prep and has fan engagement attached and has five you know, people. So just the scale and the scope has grown significantly, but it's also gained emphasis just across the league, right? The NFL front office has youth and high school football executive staff. Um, their, their department is focused on how do we improve the game? How do we make it safer? How do we in, improve the uh, experience for young people? And that's really kind of where the meat and potatoes are of the prep, you know, kind of youth and high school football spaces is like, how are we making the game better? Um, how are we, you know, exposing folks to pieces of football they maybe didn't know, right? And I, I speak to like flag football specifically, but I think everybody has like an idea that we're trying to get everybody to play 11 man football. We're really not. We're really trying to get folks to be out and be active, pick up a football and throw it at the beach. Like that's a win for me. I feel like I've done a good job. If somebody feels comfortable, right. Throwing a football because it's, it's a skill. It's something, it's just a piece that they'll have. It doesn't, ha if they've never played football, I don't really care. It doesn't matter to us. It's just, we want to expose them to opportunities to be outside be active um, and enjoy the game in whatever facet it and, and shape it comes in. So I think that's kind of what's really driven um, our growth and, you know, being able to help um, the football landscape, having youth coaches education, right? I think there's wasn't a lot of information when I came in um, just about how coaches could improve and certification courses and health and safety, heat and hydration. Um, you know, all those things we, we kind of, our normal uh, pieces of it for us today wasn't around. So being able to build that, I think has been, you know, an emphasis for the league and the teams and helped us grow to where we're at now. When I first got here, there was a quote from Jerry Rice that I really liked that I, I have written on my desk and it says, I never looked down the road and said, Hey, look one day, the hall of fame. It's always about playing each and every game a hundred percent. And I thank my teammates for getting me into the hall because football is a team sport, not an individual sport. Do you think beyond learning how to throw a football, getting outside and getting exercise, especially when you do prep camps that are for kids who are younger and you're like, you might never play football again. Do you think that having that teamwork and having a mentality that team sports brings is also part of the prep experience absolutely i think 
the team aspect, I think, for any sport, um, at least in my own personal experience growing up and then, you know, kind of having my own children and doing those things is is really the it's the secret piece of all that, right? And sports is a great opportunity for some some young people who maybe aren't recognized in other spaces to excel, right? It's just a more diverse opportunity for people to showcase kind of who they are and what they're made of and, and where their, their skills lie and their passions are. So I, I, being able to rally around and support each other is definitely a big piece of even like our in-school camps, right? We go over that at the beginning. This camp is supportive. We do nothing but cheer. Um, mistakes are made. It's, it's always, you know, you'll get it next time. Good try, good effort. You can appreciate effort over results. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to help each other kind of through this because football for a lot of, uh, elementary aged kids. And again, let's put this in, sorry, let me frame this better. These aren't football camps, right? We're not putting just a classroom in helmets and shoulder pads. We're running through non-contact football drills. So they're catching passes. They're going to throw a pass. Um, we'll have them like dive on a mat to catch a pass. And that's really the extent of it. But what we're, we're wanting them to do is gain you know, just confidence in their skills and in each other. So we make sure that as we go through it, everybody's picking each other up. Uh, our expectations are that it's all positive. And that's where that teamwork really comes from, right? It's it's setting the expectation, understanding that you can make an impact on somebody else by being supportive for them uh, and encouraging them. So we want to make sure that that's a main point of our program. I feel like it was a miss on me, but you mentioned in-school uh, camps here. Earlier, you mentioned the three-day camp. What are all the programming that PrEP puts on? So when we kind of take a look back annually, so we run what we consider 45 different programs annually in a, in a, in a normal year. And we, don't we all have to qualify? Now, in a normal year. Yeah. So it's. <laughs> It's in a normal year, we have a host of programs like that. So when we talk about different programs, it's just what it looks like, what it's titled, who it reaches. Through that, we'll have upwards of 64,000 kids through some of those programs. So when PrEP's primary focus, the in-school camp, is going to be free non-contact youth football drills. So it's position-specific stations that we set up, 60 to 90-minute um, activation. Every, every participant comes out, gets a t-shirt, they go through all the drills, Coach Ryan's out there getting them going, um, and they just learn different pieces of the game. That's the extent of the camp is just getting them out there to do that. Our three-day camp is a more experiential camp where we come out to SAP Performance Facility and of late, Levi Stadium, and they have a three-day camp experience based by age. They get a jersey, uh, we'll have player interaction because they're around and the players love to come out and be a part of football. Um, and that's what that's going to be. So it's a little bit different um, dynamic between the two, but similar programs. The three-day camp, again, is non-contact. We're going to get more specific. We're going to kind of drill down on different skills and position sets. But it's also, we like it as a camp where everybody gets a chance to play every position. Because once you get to high school, you kind of get sorted by, okay, you're tall, you're going to you know be a lineman, or you're going to be this and that. So we want everybody to have an opportunity to try every position before they're asked to like make that designation that really stays with them for quite a while. Um, and that's what that camp is. So those are, those are the, the in-school camps and that's the three-day camp. I guess 2020 was the, the non-normal year. Your team had to move to providing content digitally. 
How was that transition for you? What did you guys, what was the brainstorming process like to continue to do programming, but not be able to do it in person? I think the brainstorming portion was, we just reached out to our contacts and the folks we'd work with then just went, what's happening? What are you experiencing? Like, what do you need? I think as we all kind of took inventory of the situation, um, it was changing weekly, but it really was keeping kids engaged. It was distance learning. It was lack of physical activity as the lockdowns and shutdowns got longer and longer. Um, it just became more difficult for kids to get out. Seasons were canceled. Our flag football program shut down. So when we heard that, then what we tried to do in response is to create content that you know addressed those issues. So we did the virtual flag football camp, four-week program, um, all online that kids could access and take them through drills take them through, you know, concepts. So footwork, all the pieces that we would have offered in our in-person flag football leagues, we did it virtually. And I think we had to get really like everybody else, right? We had to get really creative and figuring out how we did that. So we had Ryan shoot videos, you know, in one state and then Nizam would be editing in another state. <laughs> and we're like piecing all these things together. We got really good at shooting video on our own iPhones because we didn't have studio support. Um, but it all worked out, right? I mean, I think that's, that's, what 2020 if i rolled it up meant to me it was like man we had to get really versatile and we had to get really like i wouldn't say really skilled but we had to get comfortable in spaces we didn't occupy before like i said editing our own videos and shooting it and lighting and all this other piece uh all the other pieces so that's uh that that was a that was a lot heavy lift for us but one of the things it did do is it, it opened us up to new opportunities right we got to disseminate our materials to a much broader audience right we now had something that kids across the country could access and across the world quite frankly um which was great and then one step further was we partnered with NFL Mexico to translate that whole program into spanish right so now we had content that we could distribute to not only our spanish speaking um fans and, and participants in, in the US but also in South America. So we learned quite a bit. I'd love to say intentionally, but I think it was just being aware, right? <laughs> it was probably our best, our best skill. Uh, and then now we have things that I don't know that we'll ever leave our program. We'll always focus on some of these uh, pieces going forward. You've been part of a number of collaborations with organizations like Fresh Lifelines for Youth and Football Camp for the Stars. How have you seen the 49ers' involvement in the community grow during your tenure with the team? Sure. I think we've, we've, the 49ers have embraced community involvement and support organizationally, right? And not that, not that we didn't when I started, but I think it permeates a lot of what we do. It doesn't just live in community relations anymore, right? I think we do so much in the community. That's really what prep is, is it's the football, physical activity, health and wellness, character development community arm of the of the organization so fresh lifelines for youth is a program that you know we've worked with for 12 14 years now and it's using football so fresh lifelines for youth basically is an organization that intervenes in a young person's life once they've already committed an infraction an infraction of uh, the law so this isn't like at risk use these are youth who have already kind of crossed that line find themselves in the, in the uh, legal system. They offer legal assistance. Um, they offer some sort of like probation diversion programs where they, you know, work with the judge to get sentences down. Long story long. They do a ton. They're an amazing organization. Um, for us, 
the collaboration we do is we like to use physical activity as an alternative to violence or poor decisions, right? As an alleviator of stress. So when we go into juvenile detention facilities and we talk to kids first, and then we put them through uh, one of these non-contact youth football camps. And we really talk about like, what are their triggers? What are their stresses? And it's, it's really open, honest conversation. And remember these, these young people are going through just daily struggles being incarcerated. So there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of tension. Um, and we want to have them identify what their feelings are, what does that for them so that they can be aware of their own emotions and then figure out a healthy release of that stress and frustration through exercise and through the game of football. So that program, I think for us has been, you know, it's, it's, is unique. I don't know how many clubs are doing that, but definitely one of the ones that we um, really relish the opportunity to get that involved in. Uh, and football camp for the stars is a football camp for young people with uh, Down syndrome. And really the whole, the name and, and position of it is this is, this is the opportunity for these athletes to be the stars, right? It started with a young man, Andrew Watson, who was the team manager for Valley Christian High School for, he still is, but started, you know, decades ago. Uh, and every Friday, Andrew supported the team and, and watched them walk out and take the field. And this was really created to give Andrew and his peers an opportunity to flip the roles. So the varsity football team uh, is paired up with an athlete uh, for this two-day camp and goes out and these guys go through a football camp. You know, we tackle, we have a flag football game to culminate. We work on throwing, catching, route running, agility. Um, so that's that's just another piece that like is I'm, I'm personally very passionate about. But the organization, you know, has come at these um, different nonprofits and, 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 and other organizations from a bunch of different angles. We interface, we get support from community relations. Uh, we get volunteers uh, from our front office, uh, front office staff to participate. Um, so it's really become like part of the fabric of our team relative to, I think, where it started. Uh, it's just grown significantly and we're doing it from a lot of different angles now than it's just, like I said, living in, in community relations. Especially with those two events, but in prep camps in general, you've had incredible buy-in from players. Have you had any like experiences where a camp participant realized that there was a player there or had an interaction that has stuck with you? I, in, in those, the realization I realized is, is the player's reactions, right? Like, and because I'll see them after the event and for a much more extended amount of time than I will, let's say the kids in fly or football camp for the stars, unfortunately. So it's watching like George Kittle go out to camp for the stars and just have become the biggest kid. Uh, look, George Kittle is a gigantic child. We get that in, <laughs> in, in all of the best ways, right? He is, he is that person who will, will always be excited and, you know, super fun to be around, but to watch him interact, right. With 50 plus athletes who have down syndrome. Um, it's great. And there's, it's, it's, it's something that I think our players are taking positive experiences away from. And, um, you know, sometimes they get humbled too, because I'll tell you what football camp for the stars athletes, they don't pull any punches. Right. So if you come out there and think you're a big deal, they'll let you know you're not and right away. And that's, that's also kind of part of the charm and the fun, uh, of those interactions, um, is the brutal honesty, but just like unchained, like camaraderie and, and like, fun and, and teamwork that they have that accompanies that is too, right? So the, 
they'll let you know like, yeah, I don't know who you are. Um, but let's go ahead and be friends and you're going to be my buddy. Right. It just, it just turns out that that's George Kill or some of our, you know, more high profile players. So it's um, it's it's great. It's great to watch. Right. And I think the one program where it, it, that flips is our is our mentorship academy. So every year we have the rookie class interact with uh, high school varsity football captains, um, but they don't know the, the high school football players don't necessarily know um, that that's going to happen. So we. We put them through this kind of character development program and we bring them into the cafe again in a normal year. And then we bring out our entire rookie class uh, at who they just watched on TV get drafted right four months prior uh, and then play in the preseason. And they're right in front of them and they sit down at a table, two rookies to four varsity football players, and they have conversations about the material we just went over. So that's when. I think you get to see the, oh, that's, you know, Nick Bosa or Devo Samuel. And it's like, and they didn't know what was happening. And then, um, you know, it really resonates. And what happens is those kids come back at the end of the year and they still have that relationship with our players, right? Like they recognize each other and they, you know, they, when they go to practice, they get a, a private viewing, you know, they're interacting. So we're actually, hopefully, you know, it's sticking with them and, and being a motivator for them to, to continue down the right path. So. That that's a great one. That's the kind of surprise and delight one for sure. Beyond building a community or bettering the community outside of the organization, since I got here, and it's definitely not been as long as you have been here. I follow the 49ers. Well, you don't have to say really, it like that. Okay? I'm just saying yeah. you are tenured and I am young. <laughs> You've been here for a long time, Jared. Yeah, all right. super old. No. Um, <laughs> I think that the organization has really tried to create a community within the organization as well and, and make sure that people feel comfortable and are getting the support they need. In the past year, you were instrumental in the creation of the 49ers Latinx Employee Resource Group lead. How did that process work? How did that come about? So, yeah, I think the first part... Yes, I agree. The The organization has definitely made very, um, very great attempts to create community and a successful attempts with lead had to be two or three years ago. So it, um, women's connect inside the 49ers, the women's employee research group uh, has been around for six, seven years. I'm not sure. It's been a long time. Um, and they're very established. And at one point had reached out to men uh, of color to come and speak. They had a subgroup, women of color, who was doing kind of this open talk and looking to continue the conversation. So I, I was fortunate enough to get invited to that uh, with a handful of other employees in the front office and was really just blown away, right? Like on the fact of the, how organized they were, how um, you know passionate about change that they, they were. And I, I was really kind of jealous, right? Like I, I wanted to figure out how we could create a space for Latinx employees to have that same type of infrastructure, support, right? Resources, camaraderies, um, all those things. So I talked with Sophie Navarro from our EDU department, who's a part of both of the two um, ERGs I just mentioned about it. And quite frankly, at that time, we just, we couldn't figure out, or I couldn't figure out how to get it off the ground. Um, we didn't have the organizational like infrastructure. There was no real clear path um, for new ERGs to form. Um, but then, you know, 18 months ago, the club got very 
uh, intentional about putting out opportunities for folks to to start ERGs. And as soon as that happened, uh, I immediately just got back on the phone with Sophie and said, "All right, how do how do we how do we get this started?" Um, and then we just kind of grouped from there. We're it's scrappy. It's still you know kind of the first year of it, but um, you know we're we're trying to build it for long term success and sustainability um, and kind of determine who we are and, and how we fit in and how we can support, you know, our, our, our employees, not just in our ERG, but in other ERGs and then help with like education across the organization. Right. I think one of the things with ERGs to understand is like, it's, it's our role and where at least what we feel our role is, is to bring everybody closer together. Right. It's to unify a voice and, and identify challenges and, and some shortcomings that the organization can work on or we can work on. Um, but it's also bringing people closer to like who we are, uh, our culture, our community, um, our values or kind of our perspective. Um, and I, I, I think so far we've gotten just great response across the organization. People are willing learners. Um, and I think more educated about a lot of issues that maybe we don't realize. Uh, and this gives an opportunity for them to, to be a part of and come closer to. So it's been, it's been, um, super rewarding. Um, I'll tell you, I, it's like anything else. We have just a rock star um, board uh, with Sophie uh, Mio Cortez, who's an amazing artist who you'll see all over whenever this airs. But if you look back at our Latinx Heritage Month, um, he does some great stuff with marketing. Uh, Leo Perez, uh, Serena, all these folks, uh, Nick Clark. Um, they just really, they're the motor behind it and they just get everything done. And it's so, uh, it's great to watch them just kind of go off in directions that their job doesn't necessarily always provide um, because they have a specific role. The great thing about the ERGs, it lets you kind of stretch your brain in new directions, right? So if you don't have experience with events, like, hey, why don't you do it through the lead ERG? Uh, and they're just rock stars, so they excel at everything. And it's been it's been super fun to watch them uh, take this challenge on and move it forward. As you said, you're in your first year. It's scrappy. It's working towards what you guys yeah. want it to be. But how do you hope to see LEAD grow in the next couple of years? So I think I, I want to see it grow by its station within the organization, right? I think it's understanding um, who the Latinx employee group is um, and develop infrastructure and ways to lift up everybody within the organization. I think part of all the ERGs is to highlight inequities. Um, and to challenge the organization uh, to respond in kind to, to remedy those, which I think we've done really, really well um, from all the ERGs. But that's, uh, I'd love to see, you know, lead grow to where we can be um, a strong voice in decision-making uh, just across policy and HR and in other places, uh, but also, you know, a good advocate for highlighting places where we need improvement for uh, you know, pathways to ascension for staff, right? How do we develop talent? How do we move managers uh, into senior managers and directors and beyond those types of things? So uh, there's a great team uh, on the HR side with our new director of DEI uh, and, and the whole organization has supported it. So I think we're working towards that, but that's what I want to see us occupy uh, is a space where we're collaborators organizationally on, on larger issues. And I think what I like, especially as someone who's now in Women Connect, is how much all of the ERGs work together 
and how much when one of them puts on an event, I think there's that support system. And you're right, it it definitely isn't once you're in one ERG, that's your support system. It definitely has grown into this like really nice network. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's intentional, right? I think Women Connect being the longest standing ERG was huge in in helping you know the other ones get off the ground and lead especially um so we've we've started from a place of collaboration with all the ergs and i love that we kind of continue we we meet weekly right just to talk about what's going on in everybody's group to make sure we're all on the same page and can step up and activate you know when needed in different circumstances i wanted to finish with a lightning round it does not have to be a short answer. Most of these don't accept that, but I, it's my favorite thing to end with just so we can, we can get out a couple of these topics that don't fit into normal questions. Got it. Can I just ask a question first? Absolutely. Is there a score being kept? No, but there really should be. There's just not like a right or wrong answer, but maybe we'll add that. Okay. Cause I just want to know. <laughs> Season two. I love it. All right. Uh, what's your favorite thing about your job? Uh, the people I work with. Something you taught me is the tradition of the 49ers belt buckle. Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite 49ers tradition or something that's quintessentially 49ers? I, well, I love the belt buckle. See, I'm <laughs> probably the only person who wears the belt buckle. So mine's not decorative. Um, uh, chances are on game day, I'll have an NFC, an NFC West championship buckle on. Um, so I love that tradition. Do you wear one more than the other? I do. I do. I can't tell you which one though. Cause I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to make any. the other one feel bad. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Cause they all <laughs> sit on the shelf together. It gets awkward. I don't want to do that. Do you have a favorite project you've worked on? Ooh, that's a hard one. Remember, as you mentioned, I'm really 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 been here a long time so there's a lot of projects let's see uh i love how about thematically i i'm really proud of the fitness zone projects that we do where we put in outdoor fitness equipment in communities and schools that's we've done that for 10 years but i love that one because it lives on and it's multi-generational and i love seeing grandparents, parents, and young kids utilizing that space that wasn't available to them. Um, just kind of as we go by and visit those places, you know, as we look back. And congratulations. I think in the last couple months, you guys opened another one. We did. East Palo Alto, Joel Davis Park. Great city, East Palo Alto to work with. It was fantastic. So um, it, it's also one of these ones that has like a ton of partners on it. And that doesn't just happen I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that this isn't our project, right? It's a collaboration. I mean, it's ours like it is the construction uh, company who donates work and, and you know, the, the equipment company who prorates prices and everybody comes together to make it work because they're tough, right? They're tough to, to install because there's logistics and red tape and, you know, all these processes. So I think that's also what makes them so rewarding. What is the thing that you're most proud of during your time with the 49ers? Honestly, I'm most proud of my team. This sounds so canned, right? Like <laughs> my, the people I work with, I'm most proud of. And I take, I, I am a coach by nature. If we do any of those like personality quizzes, like you're an A7 or whatever, right? Like I always lean coach. And that's like what, what my why is, what fills my tank, whatever, like front office buzzword you want to use around it. Like I love coaching. I love the fact that 
the team I work with is who they are. I love how they're also different. And I love that they've all come in from, um, you know, interns and have been able to grow inside the organization. Like, I'm very, very proud that we were able to, to be in a place where that can happen. Uh, and then to be a part of that, that's definitely, definitely my proudest moment. The team is celebrating its 75th anniversary this year. What's your favorite 49ers on-field memory? Oh, okay. So it, so I'm raised 49er fan from birth, right? So this is that's – a, that's a long history to think about. Uh, nothing beats the Saints game, right? The Saints uh, playoff game at Candlestick where there was like – you know, a gabillion points scored in the last seven minutes, back and forth, down to the wire. That's that's a great memory. Um, and then any memory that has to do with Tom Rathman, who I just would be remiss if I didn't say is the best football player of all time. Next question. <laughs> he was the speaker for the um, Supporters Club first, like, digital event. Yes. And one of the questions that someone asked him was – you're 44. Kyle Juszczyk is 44. What are the similarities between you guys? Do you see similarities between them? Absolutely. So only because this is just shameless self-promotion. When I played, I was 43 <laughs> because one, my dad was 52 and I couldn't wear that as a running back and 44 was not available. So I ended up 43. I see absolutely zero similarities between myself and Tom Radman's game. <laughs> To be brutally honest, but so for me, Tom Rathman was the new age fullback, but in the 80s in the offense, in the West Coast offense with the short passing game with a with a diverse running game. He was he led all running backs right in receiving yards for a season like he was a backfield threat. He was somebody who you couldn't just write off as like a thumper who wasn't uh, you know viable in the passing game. He'd release and he'd be somebody that could hurt you. He could gash you. Right, coming out. And that I think was very new. I love the fact that he was a pass catcher. He could carry the ball, but also could do that as a run blocker. Now, Juice is the same way in my eyes. And I think we're all getting a greater appreciation for what the fullback position can do. Um, watching him play, when, when John and Kyle brought him in and called him just an offensive weapon, like that fires me out. The fullback position to me is, is obviously I'm biased because I played the position, but. I call it, it's, it's the most complete athlete, right? You have to block like a lineman, run like a running back, and catch like a receiver. No other position has to do that. So um, it's fun to watch people get up to speed on what like a fullback who's that athletic can do. And I think watching Kyle Juszczyk just progress in our offense is so fun because he, this last this season especially, and even last season, Watching him be the hammer on runs is, I think, something I didn't see a lot of when he first came to the team. Um, but he is he is physically imposing, which is always that fun part, um, asked Minka. But, uh-huh. What's your favorite either position group or drill to coach? As someone oh. who was on offense, was a running back, do you steer that way? Absolutely. 100%. Most favorite to coach. I, you know what else I really like to coach, though? Offensive line. Because there's just such a camaraderie within the team with that offensive line, right? And I think, so, like, my coach, when I was started playing, used to always tell me, like, if I got a half step slower, I was going to be a guard, right? That was, like, always, always, <laughs> the, like, right around my shoulder, like, well, if you don't get faster, you're going to be a guard. I'm like, I'm going as fast as I can. But 
that was like, so I have that kind of mentality that I think played well. Cause I was like, man, maybe, maybe I'm somewhere in between. And I've always called that position, right? Like traditionally it's a guard with a head start, especially on run plays. You just get a little more lead, uh, a little more runway to, to go block somebody. But it's definitely my favorite position groups. God, no, you know what? I keep going. It's probably all of them. middle linebackers. I love middle linebackers too, but that to me is the like defensive fullback. Same, same emotions apply. Like I think that's where football plays is played and you're the most complete athlete. Final question. Every job posting has that ominous, like other yes. duties as assigned bullet point at the very bottom that they hope you don't see. Have you done something with the 49ers that you weren't expecting? Oh, daily. Like my first day, I ever started, we were at a Community Tuesday event at the 49ers Academy in East Palo Alto, building a music room. And it was like um, holding cell phones for players while video was on slash lending Delaney Walker my sunglasses for a group photo. <laughs> and then like, like, then it was like packing up garbage. I was like, all right, this, I didn't see any of that coming. That's like wrapped into like event support. I was like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That definitely falls in event support but no other duties as applied that's a that's a daily if you're not ready for that that's the fun stuff right like um how about operate the family snack room in the satellite hotel for super bowl in 2012 (laughs) (laughs) right like that's it carry the emergency 24-hour phone in new orleans for any player's family who needed assistance how did you get that job I have no idea because I definitely didn't apply for it. I'll tell you that. (laughs) But it just, hey, it got assigned. It was, (laughs) that duty was assigned. And then here we go. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot, man. I, yeah, I'm just, I'm like in my mind going like, what shouldn't I share? There's just so many of those. That's great. It's the best part of the job. Jared, I could talk to you forever. I think we know that because we went over time. So thank you so much for being on this podcast. I I truly appreciate you taking the time to to speak with me. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Uh, I'm ready for season two, P.S., when the score... The scoring system has been implemented, and there's a winner from the lightning round. I should have had you on earlier. We could have done 75th anniversary trivia. There you go. What a miss. Yeah. Hey, just leaves more for next time. 